Earplay was the longest running of the formal series of radio drama anthologies on the National Public Radio, heard from 1972 to 1990. It was a program that approached radio drama as an art form, with scripts written by such talented playwrights as Edward Albee, Arthur Kopit, Archibald MacLeish, and David Mamet. The Earplay program you are going to hear is entitled The Dissolution of Marcus Fleischmann. It was originally aired on August 29th in 1976 on BBC Radio 3. It was a play written for radio by Stephen Davis. The Fleischmanns are Jews. He dies in the war. She escapes to England with their son, adopts the name Fletcher, and runs a sweet shop. It was directed by John Bruce, and there was a TV movie made of the story in 1978 starring Mario Warburg and Cyril Shapes. The radio production received the honor of being the Play of the Week production on the BBC. This is Heirloom Radio, a different kind of oldies program dedicated to the thousands of people whose talent made radio the most popular form of immediate mass communication for about 30 years. My name is John Lovering, and I thank you for listening. of contemporary plays for radio. Earplay. This week, Earplay presents the BBC production of The Dissolution of Marcus Fleischmann by Stephen Davis. Davis is 20 years old and lives in London. Marcus Fleischmann, his first radio play, has also been adapted for BBC television. The Dissolution of Marcus Fleischmann by Stephen Davis. Things have not been easy for Zelda since I died. We were close. It's not easy finding yourself in the prime of your life with so much to live for, suddenly alone, without your chosen partner. It makes you wonder... What are the reasons for such things? Zelda was shaken. It's a testimony to the love she had for me, just how shaken she was. Not that she let it show. She's a brave woman. I suppose she'd had time to get used to the idea that I wasn't coming back, ever. Mrs. Fleischmann, it's been some time now, hasn't it? It's been a long time, Rabbi, yes. A long time. Mrs. Fleischmann, do you still hold out hope? One hopes, Rabbi. What else is life for, if not for hoping? There is reason to think that your husband isn't with us any longer. Of course, it's difficult to be entirely certain in such cases, but I think that for your own sake and the sake of the boy... Yes, Rabbi. Have you thought about the future? Will you stay in Germany? I have thought about it, Rabbi, and I don't think I'll stay. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Some he protected. You and the boy survive. For the young ones, there is the future. God is good. Rabbi, do you think Marcus is in heaven? Our souls fly from the darkness into life. And they fly away like birds. Yes. The boy will be a comfort to you. When he's grown to be a man, sure, what a comfort that will be. Such a fine boy. Yes, Rabbi. Hush, Hush now. Zelda was always a quiet woman. I think that's what attracted me to her at first, when we met before the war. It was, how shall I say... A full quietness, as if, as if she understood everything there was to understand and knew that there was no need to comment on everything. She was the opposite to me, I can tell you. I talked, Zelda smiled. Let me just say that she knew how to be with a man. A rare gift in this world. 
She left Germany. She set up in a small sweet shop. She found herself among strangers with a baby boy. Even the language she found difficult at first. And I'll have a quarter of chocolate peanut dragoons. No, not them. Dragoons, I said. Now, they're puppets. I want the dragoons. I'm sorry. Two ounces of um, 100,000. Three sticks of barley sugar. And I want a lollipop. Shut up, Edwin. I'll not tell you again. Now, where was I? Barley oh, sugar. Oh, yeah, yeah, barley sugar. And um, I'll take a quarter of the crunch. No, no, wait a minute. Sam gets lucky if I crunch when the radio's on. He says it spoils his concentration. Have you got something with soft centres? The terminology of the sweet shop was not easy to grasp at first. But Zelda would sit up after she put the boy to bed, and she'd practice with her stock list. Chocolate dragons, sherbet lemons, fruit pastilles, liqueur, liqueur, liqueur rice. All right, mummy see. Hush now, what is it? A bad dream? Baby boy shouldn't have bad dreams. I don't think Zelda ever forgot me. She always had that little photograph on the mantelpiece all the years the boy was growing up. She must have seen it often because she kept pins and odd buttons for the boy's clothes in a deep. It went. I seemed to fade a little. I suppose she thought of and woke the boy. And the... But I always found it so alive. What was the book? Like you do it. Morning. Good. And a boy. They're playing with a lovely boy, Lange. And, uh, if you don't mind, a six-pence. Oh, bonbon, bon, dear, I'm all up to Do you play with? No, Mrs. Cooper. I'm afraid I don't. Uh, that's uh, one and ten pence altogether. Yeah. You should learn, Mrs. Fletcher. It, it passes the time marvellously. Uh, we'll show you how to play any time. You know, when you can perhaps arrange it. Uh, that's very kind, Mrs. Cooper. I know, you, I, I know. It's hard when you've got infants. Oh, don't I know. Zelda was actually the best whist player in Europe. We met at a whist tournament. She won easily. After we married, we used to play as a team. We were unbeatable. People used to come up to us and say, What a team you two would make, Marcus. The way you took that last trick. I never thought there was such beauty in a game of this. I don't think she played another game of whist after I died. The rabbi didn't tell Zelda that I was in heaven. I don't think that the rabbi believes in heaven for one minute. He's a practical man with a fair smattering of atomic physics. He hedged about heaven and said something about... Birds flying off into the darkness. Not quite true. Birds come later. By which I mean he spoke truer than he knew. I'm a monkey. I don't want to go into details, except to say that I'm a fairly harmless, small sort of monkey. I could have wished to be a gorilla, but one doesn't have any say in the matter. There might be some sort of... Uh, thematic connection between the man you were and the monkey you become, but you know about as much about it as I do. I was never a particularly big, aggressive, or important man, and I'm a run-of-the-mill monkey at present. There are monkeys on their way up, and there are monkeys on their way down. I'm a monkey on my way down. I shall eventually, I gather, descend through a number of animal hierarchies into the most fundamental form of organism there is. An amoeba or something. It's a question of gradually unlearning all that you know and do. A question of adapting, of, uh, of becoming. Some of the monkeys who are with me, monkeys on their way up. As they can reasonably expect, though they don't know anything about it at the moment, of course. They can reasonably expect to become human beings next time round. 
People seem to imagine that human beings just arrive, just fly out of the darkness, as the rabbi would have it. That they just emerge in the womb with all manner of incipient skills. Not so. They all make their way up the evolutionary scale. Look on it as a kind of uh, escalator. And it makes sense. Where's Daddy? Someone at school said I should have a Daddy. You do have a daddy, Bubila. Everybody has a daddy and a mummy. Where's my daddy? Your daddy is dead. What's dead? It means he isn't here anymore. Where is he? He isn't anywhere. That's what the dead is. He must be somewhere. Dead's rubbish. Now, in the normal course of events, I'd have unlearnt the whole business of this sort of speech, and I would only be uttering my primal feelings, like an animal. But these are not the normal course of events. I'm not swinging from a branch in the African bush, as I'm meant to be, unlearning all the things humans know and picking up a few monkey tricks instead. The unlearning process has been artificially slowed down in me, and I'm still able to utter a thought or two. Unfortunately, while my head move, I must even blink half an inch. I get a fearful stabbing. At first, I thought that was I discovered that other monkeys with me. On their way down. So there. Mm. What is it? Something of weeks. It seems almost ridiculous. It's only a bloody... The main difference between men and monkeys. They're much taller than ability and so on. Ratio had a great deal to do with this. Or so I heard because I've no experience of, of the things I'm passing scientists and... Uh, I know a great deal about my urinogenital system, but uh, apart from a mild sensation when I pass water into a tube, I haven't the faintest experience of using the apparatus. I think that this artificial situation accounts for the surprising persistence of my faculties of abstract reasoning, which is, after all, the distinguishing feature of Homo sapiens. Knowing intimate mechanical details of a system such as my monkey's urinogenital system while having no more use for it or experience of it than an occasional and very passive sort of peeing, this I take to be profoundly human. You can perhaps tell from my speech how I'm having to depend more and more on my abstract reasoning for passing the time. I was never this much of a philosopher when I was a man. I'm not being ridiculous. There's something about it. You're being very unscientific, subjective. Yes, it follows what you say. It follows our conversation. Look... Alex's eyes move from speaker to speaker. If there's anything abnormal in its behavior, it'll be the drugs. I haven't said anything about the drugs. They are my reason for being here. If only it could talk. Now you are being ridiculous. Oh, it'd save us a fortune in research expenses. It could just tell us what we want to know. Verbal accounts of physiological changes in this kind of testing have proved very unreliable in research on people. You should know that. That's the reason we're using monkeys. One of the reasons. 19, showing distress signals. You better check the electrodes don't work loose. Let's try upping the charge, too. The sweet shop must have been the rabbi's idea. He had a very astute business sense. A small, independent business will provide for you and the boy. That's the best thing. A small shop that you can manage without working away from home. Uh, uh, thank you. No milk. What should I sell in this shop? Something that people always want. Something they can't do without. And sugar? Uh, thank you. No, wait. <laughs> thank you. A bread? A bread shop? Sweets. People always want sweets. Bread might go out of fashion. Things change after a war. People haven't had enough sweets these past few years. Sweets is what they want. Give them sweets. I know nothing about sweets. It's not difficult. Things change, names change, people change, but sweets remain the same. You can rely on that. You know, I was reading a book some years ago, and do you know chocolate was invented by the Aztecs? Oh, the Incas? Thousands of years ago. They worshipped chocolate. They even had a chocolate god. Or oh, so I read. Isn't that idolatry? <laughs> I'm not suggesting you start a religion. Just a sweet shot. Take some advice, Mrs. Fleischman. For the boy's sake. Mm -hmm. And just think, you'll bring pleasure to thousands. 
I remember the little sweet shop we had in Mishnagrad. What a wonderful place it seemed to me at the time. And run by such a kindly old lady, too. In America, they tell me that the sweet shop sells soft drinks as well. Sodas, I think they call them. Marcus once told me that they call such places drug stores. I never understood what he meant. Well, I don't know about that. America is a long way off. Sweets and drugs. Uh, I don't know about that. There was a little money. I'd hidden it quite early on in case anything happened and one of us needed to get away. It wasn't a fortune. Some cash in marks and some gems. Gems are a good idea when there's a war. The marks were worthless. People lit cigarettes with them when they could get cigarettes. Zelda didn't soak, God bless. Sparks went he... Everything is... Oh, Rabbi. Have everything you need for the journey? Yes, thank you, Rabbi. Here. These are Palmer violets. For the boy. That's most kind, Rabbi. A fine boy. You'll be a fine mensch one day. I've written to the rabbi where you're going in England. I've asked him to keep an eye on you. Oh, rabbi. It's a strange country, Mrs. Fleischman. But you'll soon be among friends. I am sure I will, Rabbi. Goodbye, then. Zelda. And remember the Passover prayer. Next year in Jerusalem. Please, God, Rabbi, it will be next year in Jerusalem. It was next year in Finchley, as it happens. But it was enough for Zelda... And for many like her. The shop was soon found, fittings intact. It had been a lady's shop of one kind or another. Zelda moved all the plastic busts into the room upstairs and put chocolate and sweet jars on the shelves and covers where the underwear had been. The plastic busts, well, she didn't have the heart to throw them away. She was careful in that way. I shan't throw these away, Bubele. You never know when they might come in handy. They did come in handy, as a matter of fact. Zelda used one or two of them for drying her woolen pullovers on. Then she found that the boy wouldn't go to sleep unless he had one of these busts with his mother's woolly on close to him in his cot. Zelda could leave him quite content with one while she went over the stocks and did her ordering in the evening. Despite the rationing and dealing with the coupons, the rabbi had been right about sweets. In a couple of years, the shop was doing well. Within a few years, the boy was walking, Zelda was ordering a dozen jars of stuff every week, and chocolate reps were selling her more than chocolates. So I'll put you down for six boxes of candy fruits then, Mrs. Fletcher. Uh, no, three will do. They go off in the heat. Right you are, Sticks. We're doing a... Oh, hello there, Nipper. Not... Mama, I... A few drops of tickets. Oh, on the... What a fine young... Quite the little... Any more about what I said last only offer. Very kind of you. Exactly, Henderson. It's not that I gained you. It was... Well, I was thinking of the young true... Unattractive, Mr. Henderson. Can you pay the piece? Sure, but I'm not a man that can't take a But if you change your... Humbugs. Mama! <laughs> yes? All in all, she received more than a dozen offers from sweet and confectionery travellers with an eye on the main chance and a retail outlet of their own. But I don't think remarrying ever crossed Zelda's mind. It wasn't in her temperament somehow. She'd drawn her straw, and it had proved to be a short one, and so much for that was her attitude. I appreciated it myself... It isn't easy to watch your wife, your chosen partner in life, settle down with some traveller in humbugs in a marital bed. Not that I'd have blamed her, but she wasn't that type. She had the boy, and I think she was determined to make things go well on her own. That's the kind of woman she was when I married her, during the war. I was reading somewhere about vegetables, how they register emotional responses to things. How when someone they don't like comes into a room, they show fear and anxiety. I know of no reliable instruments for measuring such woolly concepts as emotional responses. The monkeys show fear. You can read it on the ECG printout. No. 
What you read on the printout is heightened cardiovascular activity. You relate it to stress situations and you give it a shorthand label. What in a human would commonly be recognized as fear. And in a monkey is actually heightened cardiovascular activity, nearly? Yes. And what physiological changes does a human undergo when in a state commonly recognized as fear? Temperature drop, relaxation of the large intestine and... Heightened cardiovascular activity. This technician is actually a third-rate scientist, but he's on his way to becoming a first-rate subversive. One day he's going to steal in here into the laboratory with a scientific instrument closely a blunt lead piping. And he's going to rope and liberate all the monkey will drop dead instantly it's unhooked from the equipment. Monkeys on their way up will proceed to human existence, distorted in God knows how many ways by their experience in this monkey Auschwitz. While monkeys on their way down will heave a sigh of relief and drop a rung in the evolutionary scale. I fancy the next step is birds. Unlearning manual skills, you see. I quite like the idea of being a tawny owl or a falcon of some description. But I could as easily be a starling or a penguin or a budgerigar even. Look, Benquist, if you don't understand the abstract, why did you ask to come on the program? I didn't. But let me get this straight. We use monkeys because they closely resemble the physiological characteristics of Homo sapiens, right? Yes. But if I say that number 17 looks almost human, you go red in the face and look as if you're about to burst a jugular capillary. I am not about to burst anything. Zelda was always very careful about one thing where the boy was concerned. No, Fubella, don't touch nasty. Mama! Listen to Mama. It's a bad, bad thing. Mustn't touch. I want a cup, stopper. Mama will cut you some apple. Mama! Mama will cut a piece apple. Lovely apple. Nasty cup, Zelda was concerned that the boy should not be corrupted, morally or dentally, by the circumstances of being brought up in a sweet shop. Morning, Mrs. Fletcher. Can hardly speak this morning. Just had six fillings. Horrible. Ooh. Give me the usual half pound of soft centre fruit suckers and I'll take half a pair drops. Honestly, that's dentist. He should have been a coal miner poking around with that drillable. And I'd better have some licorice for Daryl for when the anaesthetic wears off. I've had nothing but tears from him all morning. Oh, oh, oh. oh shut up, Carol. Oh, getting you some licorice, aren't I? Oh. Honestly, Mrs. Fletcher. Kids. Who'd have them? Zelda adopted a very lofty attitude towards confectionery. She sold it and brought up the boy on the proceeds, but she didn't have to approve of it. Had I been alive at the time, I might, in my talkative way, have confronted her with this mild hypocrisy, at which she would have shrugged those lovely shoulders of hers, so demolishing the fragile fabric of a wordy moral argument. She always seemed to know what things were worth discussing and what things weren't. Time to give one to twelve their fresh shots. Hmm. Come on, Benquist, just give them the shots. You don't have to approve of it, you know. Your job is to administer the shots and monitor the responses. The drugs make me hungry. That, I suppose, is their intention. But the food, when it's pumped into my stomach, makes me sick. Don't touch, Bubble. I've told you before. Nasty licorice. Mama! Mama will cut you a piece of apple. Nice apple. Nasty licorice. Oh. Wait a minute. Yes? Waste it to licorice, Mrs. A penny halfpenny. Mama! Zelda wanted the boy to grow up with good teeth. It wouldn't have crossed her mind that he might also grow up with a deprivation syndrome. He did well enough at school. Zelda sent him to the local infant school, where he built with bricks and even made swords out of old orange boxes, as well and as happily as any other six-year-old. But he'd been brought up with a horror of sweets and a passion for peeled apple. Don't touch, Bubbella. Nasty toffee. Mama will cut you a piece of apple. And peel it? Mama, peel it? Oh, yes, Bubbella. Mama will peel the apple. And I don't want it to escape your notice that the favorite food of the captive monkey is... peeled apple. As any of you who've been to the zoo will have noticed. They sit up in the branches and spit out the apple peel with a particular monkeyish fastidiousness. You'll have noticed. Anyway, the boy went to school, learned to read and write, and ate peeled apple. When he got a bit older and went to the junior school, Zelda would wrap up an apple, which she had peeled, in a piece of greaseproof paper. 
by this time, Zelda thought he was getting too old to sleep alongside the plastic bust with true-fit brazier written in florid script across the base. Mom! I took it away. Why did you take it away? I thought you were too old for such things. I liked it. I, I know. But a time comes when we must all put such things aside. There's a parcel for you on the table. Open it. What is it? I just asked them in the shop for a cricket, a racket, or whatever you hit the bowl with. Is it the right size? <sighs> this size was important. Is it all right? Smashing! Oh, well, make sure it's only smashing outside. I don't want you smashing anything with it in here. The boy wasn't much good at cricket. But he made up for it by not letting any other boys play with his bat. Hey, Fletcher, use your bat. No, can't. Hey, Fletcher, your name's Fleischman, not Fletcher. No, it's not. Fleischman's a worm. What are you, Fleischman? Go away. Fleischman's a worm. A fat, crawling, grubby, blind worm. Of course, the boy had a long, long way to go before he could boast of being a fat, crawling earthworm with no remaining human memories whatever. They were wrong, quite wrong, the little monkeys, if you will pardon the expression. But they made their point. Bobella, what happened to you? Your face. I fell over. Oh, your clothes. What happened that you get your clothes into such a state? I fell over. Listen, an earthworm couldn't get so dirty in a week as, as you say you got from falling over. I fell over. Uh, well, never mind. Get those dirty things off and go and get your apple. Although Zelda had succeeded in educating the boy against the evil of eating sweets and fixed his attention firmly on peeled apple, he was still something of a cubby. I suppose it's a question of metabolism. Yes, he got it from me, without knowing. Mummy, do I look like Daddy? What a strange question, Bubbly. Mummy, I wish you'd stop calling me that. What Bubbly? That, Bubula. Oh, I'm sorry. What do you want I should call you? Do I look like Daddy? Let me look at you. Yes, perhaps a little... I didn't know your daddy when he was 14. And people change a lot as they grow up. People change a lot. <laughs> Zelda was always given to understatement. If I were to laugh, I would get a terrible pain in my neck. And the machinery behind me would start flashing lights and flickering needles. Then one of those idiots in a white coat comes running. It's 17, Benquist. Check the electrodes. Quickly, quickly. Listen, I'm a lab technician, not a lab technician's boot boy. Okay, Benquist, okay. But if those electrodes fall Keep off... Keep your hair if on. If those electrodes come off, you can stitch them back again. He's all right now. Look at him. He's watching us. It was just a moment of panic. It's past now. Hmm? See, see him watching us. Some ghost of a memory in his monkey mind. There's a sudden instinct to lift up his tail and run for his life up the nearest tree. They're imagining things, Benquist. The prolonged soma treatment has anesthetized those monkey instincts to the point of extinction. The truth is, I haven't had a chance to learn any so-called monkey instincts. I was reared in a wire cage at the back of the laboratory. I was fed fruit scraps and occasional bowls of cornflakes. My earliest monkey memory is of the papers that lined the cage and the faces of the humans, all pink and fleshy, pressed up against the wire. I remember being drawn to an older monkey and wanting to climb into its lap. I wanted to hide from the pink faces in the fur of the big monkey. I called the big monkey my mother and she gave me pieces of apple which she chewed up for me. She shared everything with me. One day she was gone. Taken away in the night, I woke up, she wasn't there. Instead, there was something propped up in the corner. It was wooden and had a face painted on it. It smelt of my mother monkey. When the faces came, I hid behind it. The faces watched me and the wooden monkey. 
I sat in the fur they'd stuck to it. I knew the fur came from my real mother monkey, and I knew they had killed it. The pink faces. I've often wondered why I wanted to do technology. It's crossed my mind, too. Let's get those doses ready and check the printouts. Why did you? Why did I wash? Look, this pipette's dirty. Why did you want to do technology? Because I wanted to improve life. Now, hold the beaker. Hmm, I suppose I wanted to improve my life. It was technology or teaching. I meant human life generally. Yeah, well, you obviously didn't mean monkey life, did you? The monkeys are a means to an end. It doesn't do to think about them. That's what they said in the course abstract. Hold it steady. But sometimes I hear them scream in my sleep. I said steady. Sometimes wonder what rule of the universe dictated that I was born a human, not a monkey. Now the next beaker. I mean, what sort of system is it? A lottery? Some get to be humans, some get to be monkeys? Science and technology can't answer questions like that, can they? Animals are animals, humans are humans. The voice of technology speaks. Animals in their natural habitat are killed and eaten by each other. It's an animal's lot to be killed. I know it's a weary old argument, but humans kill each other as well. That's what the research project in the next lab's all about. We have to have an efficient national defense. Our enemies may be developing waterborne virus weaponry. I have a feeling that's the kind of thing our enemy technicians say to each other. Our enemies may be developing waterborne virus weaponry. And they'd be right. Anyway, you don't know anything about what's going on in the next laboratory. It's officially a research and development project for the Ministry of Health. Nick Beaker, of course, I don't know anything about it. It's not my problem. Your problem is keeping these pipettes clean. Here's another one that's filthy. What have you been doing with them? I played blow football with one of the monkeys. Time passed. Zelda grew older. Her hair began to go grey. Morning, Mrs. Fletcher. Good morning, Mrs. Cooper. The usual. Well, can't eat no grow with these dentures. I'm not sure. I want to be honest. Let's have a little look round. Hmm. Oh, I've seen suckers to be on the safe side. Bubba! What? I'm busy. Oh, he's studying. Mm. He wants to get into the university. Very nice. Bubba, just a second, dear. What is it? I've got an experiment to write up. I just want you to reach down the jar for me. Which jar? The suckers. <sighs> Thank you. I'll have to do something about those shelves. I can't get up here anymore. Uh, Bubele, say hello to Mrs. Cooper. Oh, he's gone. Back to his experiment. Very nice. Zelda got some stepladders. The boy got on with his experiments in peace and got into university. Mum, where's my apple? Look here. There what? is a telegram. It's for you, so go on, open oh. it. Hurry up. All right, all right. Send my results. Oh, only your results. So open it before I have heart failure. There. Where? What? The three A's, of course. Three A's. Well, that's good. Of course it's good. Oh, Bubella. Three A's. I'm so proud of you. Oh, three A's. Oh, just think. Zelda bought him a brand new cricket bat made him promise to get rid of the plastic bust he still contrived to hide in the bottom of his wardrobe, and braced herself for a life alone among the sweet jars, while her bubbler went off to study. Where do you want me to put it, Mrs. Fletcher? Well, it's got an indoor aerial. You can go anywhere in the room. Mm, I'm not sure. Where do you think? Uh, what about this corner? Opposite the armchair. It's good there. Oh, it's up to you. But I would think the best place to watch TV was sitting in your armchair. Oh. Uh, we'll plug it in here and fix up the aerial. What's that? What's aerial? Well, I don't know nothing about television. It was my son's idea. So, the boy went off to university with his new cricket bat and his plastic bust. He didn't play cricket anymore, but he propped the bat up in his room and put the plastic bust with the old pullover on next to his bed. And people thought he was some kind of symbolist poet in the making. Zelda sat in front of the TV when there was no one in the shop. She didn't watch. She just looked. She didn't listen either. Most of the time, she thought about her childhood on the Rhine and her wedding day when we got married. She got out some yellow photographs about an inch square taken on a paddle steamer on a honeymoon weekend, and she would sit and gaze at them, wondering who the people in the picture were. Then she'd look at the television and wonder who the people on the screen were. I don't think she ever learned about changing the channel, or if she did, she wouldn't have seen any point in it. The boy would come home in his holidays, and he'd go to his room and write up experiments. What is that you're doing, Booby? You wouldn't understand. Oh, I wouldn't understand, eh? 
Will you just tell me, what's that drawing of? It's a detail of a rat's ovary. I see. A boy can't show his mother a drawing of a rat's ovary because she won't understand. What a world. A monkey in my position, strapped into a glass cylinder with electrodes sewn to my scalp and a bright light shining in my eyes night and day, is in a position to draw some general conclusions about the way affairs are going on this planet. I'm not sure, but I strongly suspect that my chances of progressing smoothly down the evolutionary ladder are getting slimmer with each passing month. I've no desire to be a fully articulate and philosophical earthworm, not knowing whose foot was about to squash me into the next stage of my dissolution. I yearn for my departure from this torment. I long for my dissolution into the green sea or the blue sky. I ache for the ionosphere and forgetfulness. I long to combine with the sky, to wash down through the earth with the rain, to rise again from a warm sea and rain again onto naked rock. I shall refract the rays of the sun into the glory of the rainbow. Finally, I shall dance in the fading embers of a giant star. I long for these things. Look at 17. Look at his eyes. What about them? Are the pupils dilated? I think he's crying. I try to see the faces of the white coatedesh. I try to be a monkey and innocent. Too much already. The watering, that's all. The boy worked. I wouldn't say that he had to look after his mother. I wouldn't say that at all. He say that he worked hard for mankind with his life, perhaps. Things they do. About human motivation. The moment I buy her boy worked so hard, night after night writing up experiments, she would shrug. What more do you want? I wonder. Damn the boy. The boy I never knew when I was a living person. I have pointed out how much peeled apple he ate. Zelda would say... He eats apple and it's good for his teeth. What more do you want? And the plastic bust. A fairly common childhood syndrome. Usual, if a little bizarre. Why dwell on these things? Well, I suspect, I'm fairly sure, in fact, that Zelda's boy was a monkey on the way up. So he worked hard, wrote up experiments, came first in all the exams... While Zelda dozed in front of the television or served the dwindling number of customers who came into her increasingly gloomy sweet shop, the rabbi had told her something that people all sweets. Human beings will always want meats. You must surround with good natural food like apples and horseradish that grow on trees. But always they want to spend their money on things that make their teeth fall out and their bellies flop over their waistbands. They have Less sense than the monkeys in the zoo. So, give them sweets. The rabbi hadn't told her that although sweets don't go out of fashion, sweet shops do. Who wants to buy humbugs and pear drops from a slow old woman with an accent, dark and twist, death ray lollies and like a cunt and glossy magazine, are they? soon he aged me. Hey, now. Game till on what you were... Zelda looked forward to... She looked forward to seeing him. Looked forward to the day he. Wouldn't you, Zarad? What a man, not a mensch. I aim for the mental piece next to your. Oh, your father would have been such an education. He would have been proud. What sort of education did he have? Oh, your father. The usual education we had in those days. He was a clever man. Always had something to say. Always had a point of view. He could argue all night over some idea or other. He used to get into arguments while we played with. I would get annoyed. No, there's a time for everything, I'd say. This is a risk, not a debate. I'd get annoyed, but it made no difference. And then, when they came for him, he argued... He tried to when talk. When came for him? Who? He, he tried to talk with them and reason. Uh, I don't think he thought he could talk with them. He wanted to delay them while others escaped. Who? Who came? Uh, no, <laughs> the shop. The boy did his research into biogenetics. I don't pretend to understand what it was that he did. About that time... 
I was in a little box with a hole. In front of the hole was a bar, and I had to press the bar to get a little piece of food, usually a piece of apple. And sometimes I'd press the bar and I wouldn't get the food. And sometimes I'd say, damn the bar, and think about something other than food. I don't understand that either. Were they maybe trying to show themselves something? Or were they maybe all somewhere else, fighting a war somewhere maybe? And they'd left us monkeys with little machines to get food, which sometimes didn't work, I don't know. Now they have to give me my food through a tube, because I can't move a muscle. Stewed apple through a tube. Stopped crying. Time for food. Time to hitch you up to the supper tube. Here you are. I try not to look at them or listen to them. I don't hear what they're saying properly anyway. They speak so slowly it sounds to my monkey ear like a slug crawling down a cello. So... Eat and enjoy. Huh? I suppose you'd like to be put out of your misery and go off to your monkey maker. Talking to them now, Benquist. Do you think they listen if you talk to them? I like talking to them. They cheep and chirp back and cock their heads. Not this one, though. This one just stares out through me. This is the one you think is almost human, isn't it? Well, put it like this. That he treats her than I him if he my position. But if that technician... Zelda was a good woman. Such a good woman. I could have wished to grow old with her, sit with her, have her sit with me instead of that television in that dowdy old sweet shop. But what good is wishing? I tell you, animals don't have wishes. Nor dread, nor hope attend their dying. The boy got a good job with the government. For a man to, to speak out and say, I progress and hell and damnation. Of course, when you say, of course, not projects to get home to tell Zelda about. Oh, the boy is. I wish you would use that. And your. And the rabbi are When do job of you get off the ground? What flame? <laughs> Never mind. I shan't be coming home very often, Mother. Oh. Oh. A nice. Thing. It's a government regulation on work of this kind. It's a bit like the army, I suppose. The army? Uh, what would I understand? A boy takes a job so he can't come home or what? I've ordered a color television for you. Governments. What we've only been through with governments. That now my boobella should be working for one and can't come home. A color television? So she peeled him an apple? And he sat there and tried to explain about his job, which he said she wouldn't understand. And besides, he wasn't supposed to talk about it outside the research center and so on and so forth. Zelda hardly listened. She was by now what she described herself as an old woman. Most of her mind had wandered back to Germany, there to remain in the relatively happy springs and autumns of youth. Few people came in the shop. Most of the area had been demolished. And the people reshuffled and dealt like cards into high-rise blocks of council flats. People living on the 18th floor don't pop into the corner shop like they once did. So Zelda lived in a partly acknowledged semi-retirement. And one by one, the reps stopped calling. The boy went off to his work. And I was taken out of my cage with a barter press and put up on a laboratory bench in this monkey straitjacket. At first, I thought I'd committed some ghastly monkey crime, and I was being put in a monkey electric chair like they used to do in America. Soon, I wished I had been. Oh, I yearn for the blue sea and dissolution. I want to wash away the nearest gutter. Have you done all that is... Yes. And cleaned the beakers and pipettes? Yes. And tidied the printouts? Yes. Where were you? Today's the visit, the ministry visit. Oh, yes, all the bureaucrats coming round to see if they're getting their money's worth. I feel that to be up on this bench, helpless and vulnerable as I am, with my bloodstream interfered with on a regular basis for some project whose ends are so far beyond me that I cannot begin to imagine them, although it is my nerve ends that sing their tunes. This, I feel, is a position to general philosophical observation. Some think this... Helplessness, this constant round, is the lot of a subservient animal. I'm a monk learning my way, learning how to be with me when we what I am an animal lot, but a man's lot. I remember in the camps when we are animals, we are be 
But no, humans. Like only humans. Right. I hope everything's... They say his name's not Fletcher. And they say he's loved to a plastic dummy. He's a dangerous lunatic. This project examines in depth the effects of prolonged sugar ingestion on the almondry and pulmonary systems. The government briefed the department to furnish facts and data on the long-term effects of high sugar intake among the population. Sugar, it was felt, is likely to have detrimental long-term effects which we know nothing about. Projects firmly establishing the vulnerability of tooth and bone calcium to sugar protein attack have borne this out. These animals have been fed on pure sugar and sugar derivatives since birth. We are looking for signs of deformation, brain damage, cardiac failure, and a genetic mutation. Every once in a while they tour around. I stare at the light and try not to see them, or hear them, or let my mind dwell on them in any way. I think of Zelda. Zelda is dying. I worry about what will happen to Zelda. I worry about the boy. A monkey on his way up is the most dangerous kind of human there is. He becomes drunk with his newfound power. Who knows what can happen? At the present moment in time, there is little we do not know about genetic mutation. What little we don't know, we are rapidly and certainly finding out. He's stopping at your precious number 17. I hope it's jars clean. Fletcher can't stand monkey droppings when he's on inspection. They say his mother ran a sweet shop. We can take this monkey and arrange a vivisection to demonstrate what I said about pulmonary failure. Strap this monkey down, Lenquist. Look at this white-coated fascist. His mother ran a sweet shop. And his father was a monkey. My eyes, my ears, my every sense tells me when a noise is made in the next room. When someone is walking by the door. Now they are close to me. I try not to see them. I long for my dissolution into the sea, the sky, and the sun. Last time I died like an animal. When my time comes again, I shall try to die like a human, without knowing or seeing the hand that kills me. Because it is my son's. When we open up the monkey's chest, like so... We see clearly the arteries puffed and distended by the action of sugar proteins building up in the vascular tissues. See how the heartbeat is affected. There goes your precious 17. You know, I think he's smiling. Don't be ridiculous. And as the heart stops, we can look at the degeneration inside the aortic junction itself. Soon I shall be free. Soon I shall fly away into the sky and hide in the clouds. Uh, who's that? Who's there? Hello, Mother. I was passing. Oh, I was sleeping. You didn't say you were coming. I've been busy. I had to make a big presentation to the Ministry. I think it went well. Oh, I'm pleased for you. What's that? I bought you a present. Oh, you shouldn't. What is it? Such a sign. It's a budgerigar in a cage. Listen. Uh, a bear? I thought it would make company. Let's talk, if you teach them. Well, it's very nice. A nice thought. Cheerful little thing. See him hop about. Oh, be careful. Don't open the cage. There you are. He won't come out. He's frightened to come out. So close the cage. He'll be company. I was longing for the sky to nest in a tall tree. If you teach it, it will learn a few words. So... I'm at least used to cages. I've lived in a cage. Well, I must get along. I just thought I'd drop it in. When I've more time... Zelda will sleep in the chair. I'll sit here. So, you have to go. I'll be company. Thank you for the bird. It will be company. Next time, the sky and the tall trees... I'm back with Zelda. God is good. I can teach it some words. Uh, what words can you teach a bird? Uh, let it sing. It can sing me to sleep. Poor Zelda. But God is good.
The Marcus Fleischman by St. Davis. Carl Shapps was featured as Marcus Fleischman and Miriam Margulies as Zelda. Others in the cast were Pat Leventon, Anthony Daniels, Martin Friend, Shirley Cooklin, Mary Claire Nash, Christopher Bidmead, John Rowe, David Graham, and James Thomason. The play was produced by the BBC and presented by Earplay, the radio drama production center for public broadcasting.